Thank you for listening to the Grace Chapel Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Kurt Henman. For more information about our church, visit our website at gracechapel.cc or follow us on social media at Grace Chapel, Ohio. To that end, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit and, and my heart in prayer in this has been uh, to really, uh, with God's help, with, with His Word and with the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, try to take the veil away from your eyes that you would enter into a very vibrant, personal relationship with the Holy Spirit because there's religion, <laughs> there's knowing some stuff, and then there's the abundant life and power of God present within you and working through you for his kingdom. Those are two totally different experiences, two, two totally different things. And I so want you to know that abundant life, and I so want you to know what it is like to be used by the power of God and to have the good gifts of the Spirit operative in your life because it's exciting. It's, it's thrilling when we enter into all that God wants for us and all that God has died for us to, to experience, right? Amen? Well, listen, uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9. That's our text this morning that, that we'll begin in. <laughs> we'll get ready. We'll, we'll be moving today a little bit. 1 Corinthians 12, 9 is, is our beginning text. Our title of our message is The Gifts of Healing. The Gifts of Healing. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9, I'm always a... Last one there to give you time. Verse 9 begins, To another faith by the same Spirit. Now, we unpacked that gift last week, and then it goes on. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Now, as you read... The Bible, as you look at the entirety of Scripture, you see the manifestation of healing from cover to cover. And so, in unpacking this whole topic, I would like to begin first just giving you some examples of the promises of God for divine healing. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. That's the second book in the Bible. Exodus 15. Exodus 15. And we'll look at verses 22 through 26, Exodus 15, starting in verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And so we, we kind of know the context here, if you know the story of Moses and that sort of thing. God has just... Uh, separated the Red Sea and 
the Israelites have crossed through the Red Sea on dry land, and then the Red Sea was collapsed upon the armies of Pharaoh who were in pursuit of the Israelites. And then on the other side of the Red Sea, the the Israelites had a huge worship night and they were praising God and they were, woo, yeah, God, you know. And, and so this is what follows. Verse 20, or verse 22 continues. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There... There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them. Pay attention, verse 26. Saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. And so God says to his people, who he is. This is one of the many names of God that the Old Testament illustrates and tells us of who God is. And the name for God here in Hebrew, at least the transliteration of it in English, is Jehovah Rapha. That is the God who heals us. It is his name. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32 will begin in verse 37. We'll take a look at 37, 38, and 39. Verse 37 begins, Then he, that is God, will say, Where are their gods? The rock in which they took refuge and So at this particular time, God is 
speaking judgment on his people because his people are continually rebellious. He gave them that promise. He gave them that name, but his people are living like the rest of the world, dealing with their problems like the rest of the world, chasing after the gods of the world, that is demons. We understand that demons are in charge of the world system, correct? Nothing's changed. who ate the fat, verse 38, of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering. Listen, let, let them rise up and help you. <laughs> let them be your protection. Where are they? Verse 39. See now that I, even I am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. God is our healer. It is his name. It is what he does. King David goes on to declare by the Holy Spirit in Psalm 103, verses 2 and 3. Take a look on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all our iniquities, pay attention, who heals all our diseases. And then in the New Testament, we find in James 5.15, you don't have to turn there, take a look on the screen, we find this promise. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And so we see in Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God promises divine healing. Well, divine healing is not only promised in the Word of God, there are numerous examples of divine healing throughout the pages of Scripture from Genesis all the way through. For example, we see in Genesis 20, verse 17, we see Abimelech and his wife and his wife's servants being healed in response to Abraham's prayer on their behalf. We see in Numbers 12, 13, Miriam, who was struck with leprosy, being healed of her leprosy in response to Moses' prayer on her behalf. We see King Hezekiah, listen, on his deathbed, moments before death, crying out to God, and God speaking this to him in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 5. Take a look on the screen. God says to Hezekiah, I have heard your prayer. 
I, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. And so we see the examples of healing in Scripture. Turn to Leviticus 14. Here's a strange one. You probably haven't seen or thought of this one. Leviticus chapter 14. Verses 1 through 4. Leviticus chapter 14. This one is not so obvious. Verse 1, chapter 14. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then... If the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. Now as we look at this, first what we need to know is that leprosy was incurable. Now, obviously, I just told you about Numbers 12, where Moses, in his prayer that the Lord healed Miriam, we, we took a look a few weeks ago at how Naaman was healed of his leprosy when he went to see Elijah, remember, and he dipped in the Jordan River seven times. You remember that? Encourage me. Tell me you remember that. But what I want us to see here is that implicit in the law of God is the expectation of God healing. And thus, God makes provision for the fact that he is going to heal for that person to be cleansed and joined back into the community of the people of God. Even in the law, it is the expectation that God will be our healer. Turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 23. Matthew, chapter 4, verse 23. It says this, and he, it's speaking of Jesus, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. That is, when we look at Jesus Christ's ministry, a predominant factor in his ministry is the healing of the sick. Turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. 
Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Again, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And so once again, a key predominant part of the ministry of Christ, it is undeniable, was the healing of the sick. But not only that, Jesus then in turn turned to his disciples and granted them his power and authority and sent them out to do the same. Take a look at Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. And he, again, this is speaking of Jesus, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, no bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel, and what? healing everywhere. And so we see clearly that healing was a major part of the ministry of Jesus. And healing was a major part of the ministry of the disciples. Now I would add to that, after Jesus ascended to heaven and after the Spirit came upon the hundred plus disciples in the upper room at Pentecost. Healing continued in the early church through the power of the Holy Spirit. And listen, we've looked at numerous examples of that in our series on the Holy Spirit. I have pointed you numerous times to Stephen to show you that the gifts were operative not only in the apostles, but those gifts were operative in normal, ordinary Christians just like you and me. But also, if you weren't here with us, I'll just give you one example for our purposes today to show you that it was present in the early church. Turn to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. Verse 8. 
verse 8 and 9. Acts 28, verses 8 through 9. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Probably was not a nice scene. <laughs> and Paul visited him and, and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. And so, to kind of sum up what we have seen so far and is that healing, divine healing, is manifested all throughout Scripture. We have seen that God gives specific promises for divine healing. In fact, it is one of his names. I am Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord, your healer. We have seen that there are numerous examples of that divine healing taking place from the Old Testament through the New Testament. And we also know that it was taking place within the early church. Now there are some today who would say that the gifts have ceased? And I would say this to us, let me go ahead and insert this here too because I can almost feel some of the pushback in the room. And the reason that there's pushback in the room is because I've tried to tell you guys there's two ditches, right? And one of the ditches is there is a lot of nonsense with some of what you see in healing today. But don't allow extreme nonsense that is in the flesh, maybe sincere but fleshly, don't allow that to prevent you from hearing clearly what God says and believing what God would have for you. Because the other ditch is this, you say you believe God can heal, but you really don't. You don't expect anything. You just expect to basically hang on and take your punches before you go to heaven. Side, that was a sidebar. So there are some today who would say that the, the gifts have ceased and they're... they're Logic goes as follows that, listen, in, in the early days, you know, God, God gave those supernatural powers, you know, uh, because the, that's what the church needed to, to get started. It, it needed that extra boost because, listen, the, the culture was hostile to Jesus and many people were unfamiliar with Jesus and and so they, they needed that extra help to get the thing launched off, to, get, to get, get the church moving, but those things have slowly passed away because now today we have all our seminaries. 
We have all our educational institutions. We have all our big churches. We have all our resources. Look, we, we got all this stuff to bring to bear upon convincing people that Jesus is the way to go. Now, personally, I think it is abundantly obvious that the culture today is still as hostile to Jesus as it ever was. And there are just as many people who don't know who Jesus is. And so that makes no sense to me. And if the church needed the gospel and the power of the Spirit to be effective then, how could we not need any less? And I would argue that particularly in America, in the last 40 years, we have grieved the Holy Spirit because we have been dependent upon our own resources. We have been dependent upon our own ways. And we've got the results of that. We, we, we've filled our churches. We, we have Christians, <laughs> but they're not spirit-filled Christians. They're not Christians radically on fire for Jesus. And thus, America has paid the price as well. Because when the battles needed to be fought, we're all living our own selfish life. It just we just let it happen. And so my call to us is listen, let, let's just believe God for what He has. You know, I, 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 let's stay out of the ditches <laughs> and, and let's be and pursue all that God reveals in his word. Now, I would add on top of that, the church history also reveals that healing has continued from the early church to the present. I mean, even in the likes of John Wesley, he had hundreds of people being healed during his ministry, and Spurgeon, and Moody. I, I have tons of books in my office. If you're really interested in reading a history book, <laughs> that that stuff has continued throughout the church. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Verse 9 again, it says, To another faith by the same Spirit, to, the, to another gifts, that's what I want us to see, gifts of healing 
by the one spirit. It's the only one that you see gifts is plural. It's the only one that's listed that way. And so as we look at scripture, we, we never see the idea of the, the gift of a healer in the singular. But what we see revealed here is the manifestation of the spirit of gifts of healing upon believers, upon people like you and me. Now, in saying that, I would also acknowledge that God does seem to use certain kinds of men in a greater way and women that have a certain kind of faith that, that enables others to believe more that God can heal them. That there, there's some people that God seems to use consistently in that way, and we, we see that even in Scripture. For example, Peter. Peter had that certain kind of faith. In, in fact, they used to lay the sick out in the street just so when Peter passed by that his shadow would touch them and they would be healed. Paul, the apostle Paul had that certain kind of faith and we're told that in Ephesus they used to take his sweatbands. <laughs> How nasty is that? They used to take his sweatbands and lay them on the sick and they would be healed. And so we see that many, I mean, you, we read just a, just a small sample. And John, at the end of, of his gospel, says that there were more miracles done than, than could be composed in the volumes of books of man. So we, we just have seen a taste. And so there were many, many Many healings. But we also have to grapple with the fact that not all were healed. Paul, in talking to Timothy, who had a stomach disorder, told him to take a little wine. And Now, I have no doubt that Paul prayed for the healing of Timothy, that Paul prayed for his stomach disorder to be healed. And when it was not supernaturally healed, he advised him to take some wine. Now, I think that Paul probably still prayed for Timothy's healing, and we're ultimately not told how that all turned out. We see Epaphroditus, who almost died from sickness, was not healed. And Paul most definitely prayed for him. We see even in Paul's life, he's... He's in Galatia, he wants to go preach in Bithynia, but he gets so severely sick, he cannot travel and God doesn't heal him. And, and Paul struggled with an eye problem his entire ministry that, that God does not heal. And so take a look again at verse 7 here in chapter 12 with me. I just want to remind us of something. To each is given 
the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That is, I've told us repeatedly that, listen, we do not tap the gifts at will. <laughs> that, that we don't possess them per se, but the Spirit repeatedly gives them to us. And though we see consistently miracles happening, not everyone was healed all the time. And so the question that arises for all of us is, well, you know, why does God heal some and, and others are not healed? And my honest answer to you is this, I don't know. I do not understand everything about divine healing. I don't understand everything about God's sovereignty and his good will and plan. I, I don't see everything. I don't know everything. Whether it be in the issue of healing, whether it be in another place that I'm asking God to move and it seems like the right thing and I, I don't understand based on who God is and his promises, why he's not moving in this. There's a lot of places where it's like, I don't know. <laughs> but what I do know is this. What I do know, when it comes to mountains moving, what I do know when it comes to healing or all those kinds of things, that the scripture very often says to you and me, there is an issue of faith. That there is a problem with our lack of belief. And if you are honest with yourself, you need to wrestle with that a bit. Do you really believe? <laughs> I, I have found in my ministry, 90% of people really don't. So scripture would say, listen, often it is a lack of faith. And Jesus even said, you know, he was unable to do a lot of miracles in a village because the people, they didn't believe. I mean, Jesus constantly would speak to us, oh, you have little faith, you know. I mean, he would do these amazing things, and they would still struggle to believe, you know. We, we know this, God moves in our life, and, and we're like, yay, God, and then the next thing happens, and we're like, oh, no, God's not going to come through this time. So faith is an issue. The scripture would also point very clearly that sometimes it's sin. The Bible clearly teaches that sometimes some of us are sick because we're disobeying God. It's a consequence of our sin. The scripture would also point to the unseen conflict. That sometimes sin is related to a demonic stronghold, which can be related to sin. That is, it, it flows from demonic influence in your life. And so you see examples of that in the New Testament where 
Jesus is casting out demons and the person is healed in that same act because they were connected. Or in the promise that I gave to you in James, if you confess your sins to one another, you will be healed. Sin is related at times. I'm not saying that that's why you're sick, okay? I'm saying these are options that you need to explore. Or the Bible would say that sometimes God has greater purpose in our suffering. That is, he didn't cause it, but he does allow it. Unless he allows it to make me more like Jesus. He allows it for me to perhaps be a testimony in my weakness for others to see more clearly who Jesus is. Like, how do you believe in the goodness of God when God is not helping you? How do you trust him when this is happening to you? And so ultimately, what does that all mean? Well, for me, this is how I approach it myself. It means for me, when I pray for healing, I always pray believing and knowing that it is God's desire to heal that person and that he is able. I am going to pray in faith, knowing that God is good, that he is desirous to do so for that person, and that he is fully capable of doing so. And if that healing doesn't come, then my response to that is to keep believing and to keep praying for that person's healing, believing that God is desirous to do so, and he is capable, and he is willing, and I keep doing that. Now that, depending on the situation, can be a short prayer, can be a longer prayer, could be a prayer, of pr prayer and fasting, depends on the situation. But at some point, I'm going to pray in faith, but at some point I'm going to rest in faith. I'm, I'm going to pray in faith, and usually by the end of the day I need to rest in faith because I'm out of gas. I'm going to rest in faith. I'm going, to, I'm going to believe that God will do what is best when it is best. I don't understand I know who God is, I know what his promises are, I know what his good desire is in the will of his people. But I certainly do not understand how that all fits together. And so I'm going to rest in faith, I'm going to pray in faith, I'm going to rest in faith, but what I'm not going to do, hear me, because this is where people go, what I'm not going to do is accuse God of not being good or God of not being willing or God of not being able. That is straight from the pit. 
that would accuse Jesus of that. And there are so many people who do that. God is not like that. His purposes are always better. And so ultimately, you know, the case for divine healing is pretty tight in Scripture. It's pretty tight. It's pretty undeniable. And I do believe, I I do believe we would see more healing if we truly would quit pushing back with what God says. If we would truly repent, if we would truly put God first, and if we would truly believe what God says, now we can have a discussion. Let's do those three things, and I'll talk to you more about the mystery of God. Well, to increase our faith a little more, Scripture even gives us more on this issue of divine healing. Turn with me to Ephesians, or Ephesians, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 5. As if the case hadn't already been made, God makes the case even further. In Isaiah 53, you you have Isaiah prophesying the coming Messiah, the coming of Jesus hundreds of years beforehand. He's prophesying that the Son of Man is going to suffer and that he's going to be crucified hundreds of years before crucifixion even existed. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And so Isaiah 53 here says that divine healing is actually anchored in the work of Christ on our behalf. That healing actually flows from the work of Christ, that it flows from the atonement. Now we see this much clearer in Matthew chapter 8, so you know that I'm not making that up. Okay, turn to Matthew chapter 8. This is the last verse. Are you guys with me? All right. Always quiet in here, man. Matthew 8, verse 16 and 17. This is the Bible exegeting the Bible. I am not making that conclusion. Matthew is in response to to what Jesus is doing. Verse 16. 
That evening they brought to him, that being Jesus, many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. The passage we just read. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And so we see clearly that divine healing is actually anchored in the atonement Literally, uh, the other translation would say, you've probably heard this verse, by his stripes we are healed. Literally, Christ was scourged for you and I. And so listen, by the way, that's a great example of God's greater purpose in temporary suffering. The example is right there in Christ. That is, Christ was not scourged for nothing. He was scourged for our healing. There was purpose in that. He just didn't get whipped for nothing. But he was scourged for us. For our healing. It flows from his work on our behalf. Now, as I close, I do want to share with you a few personal examples of God's healing. In my life, around me, um, to begin with, I told you in, in this series that oftentimes there's so much shifting going around, I'm kind of holding still here a little bit. That's why I'm pausing. I told you that oftentimes when I pray for people, they, they will get healed and I have no clue. You know, I, I told you oftentimes we can be operating in the gifts and we, we don't even know it. It, it can be supernaturally natural. <laughs> and, and I don't know until they tell me later or they email me or they call me. And, but in the moment, I, I, I didn't know. An example of that was a year or so ago, Tim Catlett was up here at the front. You know, we often call people up front in, in response to what God is doing, and he was up front in one of the worship services that we had praying, and, and the Spirit of God hit him and almost knocked him down, and God healed his leg. And then God steered him to Tammy Laubacher, who then helped him to discipline his body and and so, supernaturally, God healed his leg, and then through natural means and him being obedient with the temple that God had given him, God supernaturally healed him fully, and he is fully healed and restored today, healthier than he was 20 years ago, eh, Tim? Yeah, so... He was retired. He now works full-time for, 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 he volunteers at the church a lot, but he also, he's back at it, man. It's just, it's awesome. It's 
Praise the Lord. And I would say this, because God works both, right? I mean, he, he can heal us supernaturally, but he also uses natural means as well. I remember when I was in college, I was working on bean silos in the summer to make money. Bean, bean silos are those big, you know, cone-looking things. We have lots of them out where I'm from in Idaho because they grow a lot of beans. But uh, so we were constructing those, and the guy on the other end dropped the beam and so then it twisted out of my hand and the beam cut my arm open. And I was in shock, you know, I'm bleeding all over the place, but I just kind of climbed down and, and uh, <laughs> go to the foreman. The foreman's like, you got to go to the hospital, we got to get, but I'm in shock, I still can't feel it. But I get into town to the clinic that we have, and you got to understand that the town I grew up in was like 20,000 people, it's not a big hospital by any means. And um, so after it's all said and done, uh, the, the nurse and the doctor come in to talk to me, and they say, yeah, do you know what happened today? And I said, no. And, and they go, well, listen, um, you are the luckiest guy on the planet because um, if you would have come in here at any other time, there's nobody here who could have knit your tendons back together. We don't have that expertise around here. And you would have lost the use of your thumb, minimum, maybe your whole hand. But it just happened that the surgeon from Boise had an appointment here today and he stopped in to see how we were doing and you came through that door and he was there to put your hand back together. So, um, supernatural through natural means. Uh, God uses both. I, I was praying for a young man who was very promiscuous. He had several STDs. He was broken. He was in love and he wanted to get married. And he's praying that God would heal him. But he knew he, you know, it's consequences of his former lifestyle and that sort of thing. So I'm praying that the Lord would, would heal him and and the power of God touched him. He said it went through his body, and, and uh, the Lord uh, made his blood clean. And he's been married for 20-plus years. He's in the ministry. He's totally healthy. And, you know, praise the Lord. So I say the 20-plus years thing because it's not a remission thing. <laughs> he was fully healed. So... I have a buddy um, who in my hometown, we, at church, um, he was total drug addict, you know, living, living hard. Nice guy, though. Um, was in the church service, uh, high on cocaine, high as a kite, uh, pastors preaching, power of God fell on him and sobered him up just like that, he was filled with the Spirit. He told me he had an overwhelming sense of joy. And I would say, as my friend, he still bubbles with that joy. He, he, he was given a lot. <laughs> and listen, he's 30 years ago. He has three boys, wonderful wife. He is a, a pastor as well in the ministry today. It's the power of God to heal and then finally, my son Landon. 
was born with cerebral palsy. And of course, when, when that happened, you know, Vicky and I were praying like crazy. We used to, we used to call him our, our little parachute boy because his arms were pinned back like this. He, he could not put his arms down or to his side, and he couldn't roll over. And so, of course, uh, we prayed, and we, we prepared a lot. We read a lot, and we're like, we're, we're going to have a disabled child into adulthood. That's, you know, I mean, that just doesn't go away. And I was struggling. I, I was out of the box because when we got that news, it was on the heels of my father's death. And I was just like fighting God. I felt like I was slipping back into this all I can describe is like I just began to climb out of this hole of grief and it's like for me to accept this news would be to fall back into this grief pit that I just began to climb out of and I, I, I just did not want to fully embrace what was happening and, um, but my wife helped me out. She exhorted me and said, listen, you need to snap out of it. I need you. <laughs> so a little Holy Spirit exhortation, right? That's, that's what I needed. Um, my, my wife is my best friend and my, my best counselor. I would receive whatever she had to say to me and trust it. Um, and so at, from that point on, I began to pray for my son, and I could feel the pleasure of God in it. I could feel the favor of God returning uh, to my heart and to my life. And my wife would say she felt God's favor in praying. And so listen, I don't know if the gifts of, of healing came upon me or came upon my wife or both of us. I don't know. We just went to the doctor and he was healed and everybody was blown away. And so now Landon is 6'5 and smarter and stronger than, than I am. So... And so when you see him, you, you can know that he is literally a walking miracle of God. And so you, you, you could never, ever say to me that Jehovah Rapha is not the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so listen, I, I don't know uh, what God wants to do. Can, can, I think we sang something about leaving a little space. <laughs> For God to do what he wants to do. Can we believe God for more? Can we trust him for more? Can we have faith in the wait? Can, can we declare and not allow Satan to accuse our God of not being good or not being willing or not being able? Well, are we going to listen to the serpent are we going to listen to the Savior? He is so good. He is so loving. He, he loves you so much. Trust Him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Trust Him. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. 
For more sermons like this, visit us online at gracechapel.cc.